Hello and welcome once again to the Raw Attitude Podcast, where we chronologically take you through episodes of Monday Night Raw from the Attitude Era. I am, of course, your host, professional wrestler Henry Hugepex, the suplex-throwing human duplex. As always, thank you for listening, and we welcome your feedback at rawattitudepodcast at gmail.com or reaching out to us via Twitter at rawattitudepod. And, of course, do not forget you can subscribe to us on iTunes and Stitcher as well. And boy, oh boy, do we have a special treat for all you fans this time out. Joining the show this week, a man whose voice you have already heard on this podcast in the intro at the top of episode 11 from unappreciatedscholars.com, wrestling in the Clinton years, and now I believe an official co-host of the New Blood Rising podcast from across the pond, it is Mr. Martin Dixon. Martin, how the hell are you? I am very good. Thank you for uh, for inviting me on. This is indeed a, an honour and a privilege. J- yeah, just just thrilled to be asked. Fant- of course, yeah, yeah. Uh, actually, and while you're while you're on, would you care to uh, elaborate on some of those uh, side projects I just mentioned? Yes, yeah. Well, uh, as you mentioned, I'm now the fourth, the resident foreigner um, <laughs> in uh, New Blood Rising, which means that. Uh, it, that makes it, you the it, default heel, basically. It does. It does. I, I'm sneaky. I have a, an incredibly hard head. <laughs> and I hate America. Um, of course. Yeah, unapp- unappreciatedscholars.com is where I write about pop songs because with me it isn't all just wrestling. Um, so basically I've, I have a, a semi-regular blog on there where I talk about songs that I just can't skip uh, when it comes up to a playlist, either good or bad, as it turns out now. Unskippables is the column name, right? It is, it is. Um, Wrestling in the Clinton Years is currently on hiatus for its replacement, its little brother, called That Was the Wrestling That Was, officially TWX3, or TW Times 3, I still can't can't quite work out which one of those it is. And that just gives me a broader scope. Originally, Wrestling in the Clinton Years was only focusing on 94 to 2000, which didn't leave me a lot of wiggle room for, for to look at other wrestling, so I've decided hmm. to go with this, which means that I can review whatever the hell I want, so I'm currently now trolling through the AWA vault on WWE Network, oh, um, right. and just reviewing shows as, as they come up, because I have never, ever seen them before, so I'm going in with completely fresh eyes and 30-odd years of hindsight. Yeah, and actually, uh, so I think you were telling me before that you, you were kind of a WCW fan back in the day too, right? So I, I was. Um, briefly here in the UK... WCW became like incredibly huge for about six months. Sure, sure. Because worldwide started airing on free television over here, whereas the WWF, as was to this day and still is, on pay TV outside mm. of the network. We have the network now, but everything was on cable or satellite, as we called it, call it. So for a brief, brief period, everybody in the world was a WCW fan because we could just watch it. It was on every Friday at seven PM, I think. Okay, was this before the NWO? No, no, this was this was sadly after. This was 1999. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> but any WCW is good WCW for me. Sure. Well, I was going to say, now I see why you're on the New Blood Rising podcast, because that was, yeah. I think, shortly before the time when Vince Russo came in, or maybe right around that time. It was just before. I think the last Worldwide that ended was clips of Nitro hyping up Russo's on-screen debut. Oh, God. 
So we got like the powers that be, yeah, which yeah. was his first stint, and then we just missed the second. But of course, then TNT became a channel over here, so I still got to watch Nitro in all of its wonderful glory of the 2000s. Oh, lovely. So you get to see Vince Russo become WCW champion. Yes, and uh, and David Arquette. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> In addition to, I have one other side project, because God knows I'm you know not busy enough as it is. Please. Um, because Billy will kill me if I don't plug this. 4CRonline.com is the new address for what used to be 4CR Wrestling. It is primarily a wrestling site. That's where Wrestling Clinton years was spawned, and TWX3 now lives. But we're covering all sorts, because all of us, we're fans of just pop culture in general. So, I mean, particularly me with video games. I mean, I spent 15 years selling video games. So oh, wow. I, I've got, like, weird insights into the industry and weird opinions on on how things work. Oh, that's um, awesome. And movies, comic books, we're just going to pull, you know, anybody who wants to write anything for us can can jump in with a whatever. There's no boundaries, no themes, no nothing, just whatever you want. If, you, if you've got it in you to write, throw it up there. That's actually, uh, well, now I'll just deliver a quick side plug, too, because it sounds like that would be a good fit for... Uh... The new podcast we have on our little podcasting network over here, network name still to be determined. Uh, but a colleague of mine, Troy, actually is uh, coming out with a podcast called Geek and Gamer Guild. And basically it's catering to those same areas you just mentioned. So so people out there, if you're listening to this, Geek and Gamer Guild coming soon. It's already on Facebook, already on uh, iTunes. You can subscribe to it. Uh, definitely give it a listen because Troy's an awesome guy. And uh, yeah, and I'm sure it's going to be an awesome podcast. So. I, I- I'll be listening intently because I, I need more gaming audio in my life. Oh, beautiful. There you go. See, we're bringing everybody together on this show. That's what we do. So anyway, well, with that said, shall we get into Monday Night Raw? I think we shall. Fantastic. So it is Monday, March 23rd, 1998, and we are pre-taped from Tucson, Arizona. Yes, that's right. The go-home show before WrestleMania 14. Their biggest pay-per-view ever at the time was pre-taped six days in advance. That's almost as hard to believe as the fact that the number one song in America at the time was Getting Jiggy With It by Will Smith. Now, Martin, would you call that track an unskippable? <laughs> there are plenty of works in the Will Smith discography that are. Unfortunately, Getting Jiggy With It isn't among that list. Yeah. Okay, all right. He doesn't hook it's, you from that opening. Ha ha, ha ha. It's no Wild Wild West. Oh, God. Yeah, about that. I remember there was a brief Will Smith song renaissance for a while there where he was kind of coming back with like the Men in Black song was hugely popular and whatever. Anyway, but that's where we are at this point in time, 1998. Will Smith is huge and we're one week before WrestleMania 14. And so after a quick recap of Vince McMahon's heel promo from last week, we queue up the opening credits, the pyro and the obligatory scanning of the crowd. Martin, I don't know if there was a particular sign or two you enjoyed, but the one which stood out for me had a hand-drawn picture of Sting's face, which said, I am a Jedi like my father before me, WCW 316. I'm not sure what the connection is between Sting and Luke Skywalker, but the artwork was actually pretty quality. So that was the one that stood out for me. Yeah, I'll give him, I'll give him credit. I noticed that. Um <laughs> Now I'm desperately going to have to try and find it to force a connection between Sting and the Skywalkers. Um, but no, I, I, what, the one thing that caught me is you know exactly what period you're in when you see that amount of drawings of South Park characters. In one oh my god! Yes, yes, absolutely. A couple of weeks ago, they they had just done the South Park episode where they were teasing who Cartman's father was. So there were um, there were like Stone Cold is Cartman's father, the Road Dog is Cartman's father. Like all the, there were signs all over the place a couple of weeks ago. It was. It was kind of very much uh, of the time, if you will. Mm-hmm. 
Good stuff. Um, and a lot of Tyson bite signs. Yeah. I bet every single person that thought of that was was thinking that they were the first person to come up with that. Yeah, game. exactly. I think there was one that said, like, how does ear taste jackass or something to that extent. So, yeah. <laughs> That's a bit more on the nose. That's... Yeah. Or a bit more on the ear, I suppose. <laughs> yes. But yeah, so we kick off the festivities with Stone Cold Steve Austin heading to the ring for an interview with Kevin Kelly. Austin says Vince cannot possibly mold him or manipulate him into being the type of corporate role model he wants him to be. He says this Sunday's match with Shawn Michaels will be the toughest of his career, but he wants to whip HBK's ass, so he will walk through all the horse shit that Vince puts in his way. And yes, he gets bleeped for saying horse shit. Kevin Kelly then tells Austin that all of DX, including Mike Tyson, are on their way to the arena right now. Stone Cold says he has the night off tonight, so he'll be sitting in the back, drinking Steve Weiser's and waiting for them. However, Commissioner Slaughter then heads to ringside, and he tells Austin that he does not have the night off because he will be facing The Rock tonight, which is interesting from a historical perspective because it means we get the WrestleMania 15 main event the week before WrestleMania 14. So Slaughter says Vince McMahon is the one who booked the match, but Vince is not in the arena tonight, and why would he be? He's only the owner of the company. I'm sure he had a more important place to be the week before their biggest pay-per-view of all time. No big deal. Uh, But Martin, I don't know if you felt this way too, but this seemed to me like they were kind of booking the company's biggest face as though he was a chicken shit heel. And what I mean by that is they're saying Austin has the night off, then he's ordered to wrestle. Slaughter tells him he has to fight tonight or his match at WrestleMania will not be for the title. And Jim Ross was actually on commentary saying how unfair it was to make Austin compete six days before he has to face Shawn Michaels. So was I way off base here or did that seem like a, a sort of no. like heel angle? Yeah, I got that totally. I, I got that complete vibe as well. So I weird. know Austin is basically a tweener, but yeah, it, that is... You could lift Austin out of that scenario and put in, say, The Miz. <laughs> And it would totally fly Absolutely. as a as a heel thing. So yeah, I'm I'm complete with you, with you. Yeah, it was really weird to me. I was like, I I just I just didn't understand it because obviously, as we'll see, there are plenty of other wrestlers who compete tonight who also have matches six days from now at WrestleMania. So kind of strange. But um, anyway, as you might expect. Austin doesn't take too kindly to being forced into a match, so he hits Slaughter with a Stone Cold Stunner. And did you happen to notice the commissioner's selling of that move? Because I don't think I've ever seen anyone sell the Stunner that way before. Basically, instead of taking a move and then, you know, falling down face first or falling down onto his back, Slaughter basically does a flip as though he was taking a snapmare. <laughs> yeah. It didn't look that great, I don't think. I, th- I think perhaps... It was in his muscle memory to take that as a snapmare. Yeah, maybe. So, um, well, Vince famously took a stunner in a very similar fashion. Perhaps it's a perhaps it's a WWE corporate directive. Was that the stunner where he uh, started flopping around like a fish afterwards? Yes. Oh yeah. my god. Yeah, that was I mean, that was terrible. The problem is not everybody can be the Rock when they take the stunner. That man was oh put on this earth to sell the stunner. <laughs> yeah. I'll, well, we'll get into that later, I suppose. Um, but I, I know exactly what you're talking about when you say that, because, uh, yeah, in his later years, it, uh, well, well, we'll get into that. But um, so anyway, but as for tonight, we do have that match book tonight on Raw. Mm-hmm. Stone Cold Steve Austin versus The Rock, giving it away on free TV because it's certainly a match which will never draw any money. So after a commercial break, we get our first match of the evening. Cactus Jack and Chainsaw Charlie versus the Quebecers in a rematch from two weeks ago. Now, for the record, Jim Ross was not saying how unfair it was that Funk and Foley have to wrestle six days before their match at WrestleMania. I'm sure it probably just slipped his mind. I'm sure that's what it was. Um, and Martin, were you excited to see the Quebecers in action on Raw in the Attitude Era? Because I was certainly excited to see their awesome powder blue singlets because those things are pretty goddamn sweet. Yeah, it was. It, I got 
Quebecers and Rougeau's flashbacks. Oh, yes, there you go. Oh, I, I have this deep, unironic love for the Quebecers. I, oh, um, I, I love the Quebecers back in, yeah. uh, like, 93, 94, when they were uh, doing their thing. Yeah, when when I first did Wrestling in Clinton years, sorry, cheap plug, but um, I did uh, 1994 Raws, because that was a year that I was out. I wasn't watching any wrestling of any shape or form, so it was coming back to it. Um, and in, like, the early days, it was the Quebecers and, I think, Razor Ramon and Marty Jannetty. Ah. It was, like, a, ki- a killer match, just on, like, a, a Raw. Oh, yeah. And it, um, yeah, I, I love me the Quebecers. I love the Rougeos. I love the original Mountie. I love the Not Mounties. Um, I loved um, loved them in their brief stint in WCW. I love the fact that um, uh, Jacques Rougeau has a pinfall victory over Hulk Hogan. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. <laughs> and he's still riding that to this day, apparently, according to um, Kevin Steen, Kevin Owens, who he trained. Yeah, um, yeah I, I, I was so excited to see them wander out through the curtain. Yeah, absolutely. They they don't have too much time left. I will say that, but um, yeah, I was the same way when I was uh, when I was a youngster in ninety three, ninety four, watching Raw. The Quebecers they had feuds with uh, you know the Steiners and Men on a Mission and other teams I didn't really care for. So by default, I was like, well, I want the Quebecers to win. And they were actually you know three time tag champs. They were very very uh, successful. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I don't know if the, I don't know if we could go back and say that was sort of a dark time for the tag period tag for the tag team uh, period i should say i don't know i have to go back and check but i feel like when you have the smoking guns and men on a mission it wasn't uh, it wasn't great times it wasn't happy times but you know they're, they're, with any era that's supposedly a write-off there's always diamonds hidden away in there absolutely yeah and of course i love jacques Rougeau as the mountie i mean because how can you not how can you not love the mountie mm, I, I, well from the theme alone exactly and the fact that he got to electrocute Tito Santana every night. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Well, we can all thank him for that. Yeah, because uh, God knows, even as a kid, I found Tito like the most boring, <laughs> bland guy ever. The Matador gimmick didn't do anything for you? It did very little for me, <laughs> even as an eight-year-old. Yeah. Sometimes they would do that where it was just like, we, you've, you've come to know Tito Santana, but we're going to change him into, into El Matador now. You've come to know Tony Atlas. Well, now he's Saba Simba. <laughs> that just... was exactly where I was yeah, going. <laughs> exactly. So he's Dusty Rhodes. We're going to stick him in polka dots. Although, to be honest, that was awesome. As a kid, I loved Dusty. Yeah. Yeah, he, he certainly went for it with the, with the polka dots. It seemed like the whole thing was just a giant rib. On mm-hmm. on him, courtesy of Vince McMahon, but he he you know he made the most of it. I guess as you could say that uh, his son did up until recently. But yeah. uh, and hell, Virgil made a career out of being a parody. <laughs> That's true. That is true. But anyway, we got a little off topic, but but it's all good because uh, so the, I mean the match was basically not a match. The one we're talking about, Cactus Jack yeah. and Chainsaw Charlie against the Quebecers. Basically, so about a minute into the match, Road Dog and Billy Gunn show up at the top of the ramp dressed in tuxedos. Road Dog sets up a table and some chairs along with a bottle of champagne and a single rose. We see that he is holding the Cactus Jack and Chainsaw Charlie blow-up dolls, which they previously debuted six weeks ago on episode eight of this podcast, and it appears they have a lovely double date planned. Back in the ring, once Funk makes the hot tag to Foley, Billy Gunn immediately runs in and jumps Foley for no apparent reason, which of course results in a disqualification. I think we all knew that was coming. Road Dog soon follows him to the ring along with the ice bucket which was holding the champagne, and they both proceed to clock Funk and Foley in the head with the bucket. 
Road Dog then runs back up the ramp and grabs the table, which he gives to Billy. Road Dog holds Funk's arm behind his back, and Billy then comes off the second rope and breaks the table over Funk's head. Not quite finished yet, the Etwas then execute a nice-looking spike pile driver on Foley onto a steel chair. Now, amusingly, Funk then starts getting back to his feet with the table still wrapped around his neck, so Road Dog punches a piece of the table into Funk's face, but Road Dog then immediately yells out in pain because it looked like he legitimately hurt his hand when he hit him. Did you notice that? Yeah, I noticed that. I, I, th- I think he didn't think the table was as hard as it perhaps was, yep. which, which makes you feel incredibly sorry for Terry Funk's head. Yeah, that's, that's a very good point, actually. But yeah, I don't think that was something they were planned where it was like Road Dog doing like, oh, I'm going to be funny and punch it and hurt myself because in context they were giving them kind of a brutal beating, you know? Yeah. So I'm pretty sure that was that was legitimately him hurting himself. And we actually wrapped up the segment with Jim Ross giving us one of his classic lines. I don't know if you noticed, Cactus Jack and Chainsaw Charlie look like they've both been in a car wreck. So obviously the match was nothing to write home about, but what did you think about the post-match beatdown? Um, in terms of setting up the Mania match, fine go home stuff yeah i get i guess um i i i think they've done these segments out of order though the dumpster dive from off of the stage right probably should have been this show yeah i gotta culminate with that one yeah but no i i for what it was yeah it's fine i mean you 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 take what you can get and yes we got to see the quebecers for a brief period i'm i'm one of these people that as as long as wrestling is happening I'm kind of happy with that. Mm-hmm. Even if it's the like tiniest, small match in the universe, I'm okay with it. Well, And plus, I like Cactus Jack and Chainsaw Charlie, and sure. I love Cactus Jack's theme. Yes. To this day, I love his theme. Yeah, oh, absolutely. That's a good theme, yeah. Mm. Where it's just like... That was my, that was my acapella there. Um, but yeah, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. It's definitely a quality theme. And uh, yeah, it... Speaking of short matches, I mean, basically that is so far the hallmark of the Attitude Era. So far on this podcast, um, excluding tonight's main event, actually, but pretty much, yeah, all we've been seeing are basically, you know, two-minute matches, three-minute matches. So it's kind of, you know, it's it's become yeah. the standard at this point as far as... I think, it, I think it has something to do with the lead writer up at Titan Towers. Oh, who, who makes an appearance later in the show. Mm-hmm. Fittingly enough. But yeah, so there you have it. Cactus Jack, Chainsaw Charlie, taking on the New Age Outlaws. This Sunday at WrestleMania, I believe, in a dumpster match. So, paying it forward. Although, they didn't actually really mention much of the dumpster on commentary. No, not at all. Not at all. But there's another thing. Actually, Triple H's match stipulation is only mentioned literally once by Triple H tonight as kind of a tossed-off remark, and it's never mentioned again. It hasn't been mentioned since. So, uh, yeah, they're not very good with hyping up these stipulations. No, not in the slightest. No, no. So, up next... Chicken fried steak in human form, Tennessee Lee introduces us to Double J Jeff Jarrett, who once again rides an actual horse to the ring while wearing a light-up hat, light-up sunglasses, and light-up jacket, which I assume cost $15,000. Yeah, hashtag wrestling. Yeah. And yes, the horse is covered in lights as well. And you know what? Much like what you said with the the Quebecers, I'll take the unpopular opinion on this one, that Double J and Tennessee Lee are fucking great. And yes, I said it. I'm sorry, but everything Tennessee Lee says cracks me up because he's so over the top and his accent is so goddamn ridiculous. And plus, Jeff Jarrett's actually pretty enjoyable in this role as well, uh, which I did not expect to be saying. But I'm sorry, if loving this tandem is wrong, I don't want to be right. I can see where you're coming from. Jarrett, especially, is delightfully annoying. Yes, he is. He 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 knows exactly how to rub the viewer up the wrong way, which makes him perfect mm-hmm. in his role. 
Because, I mean, you look at this guy and you, you watch your name and you think, Jesus Christ, this guy was a horseman, or very nearly a horseman <laughs> before. Yeah, that's true. Um, that's true. And he's, he's, he's wearing the, you know, paper craft um, tassels. tassels yes, here. yes. He's got the stupid blonde, you know, blonde hair, the wavy blonde hair. He looks like a complete goof. He does. But... You have to kind of respect him because he's he's actually a good wrestler. Yeah, he he really yeah. is. Yeah, in in kayfabe and out of kayfabe, he's deeply deeply irritating. But you have to give him a lot of begrudging respect. Yeah, I agree, and, and that's why I like Jeff Jarrett. Yeah, it, basically, Jeff Jarrett, Ken Shamrock, and Owen Hart so far are the three people on this podcast who every time they're wrestling for my money, they're actually making the most of the limited time they actually do get to wrestle. Like, they look really good in the actual time that they get, which admittedly is not much, but, um, you know, they're not just kind of, you know, mailing it in like, oh, two minutes, I'll just do what I can. They're actually trying to, you know, tell a little bit of a story in that two minutes, three minutes, four minutes, whatever it is. Um, so, you know, I actually, uh, he's one of the guys who really is standing out a bit for me. Not so much in, in this match, but overall. No. Um, and actually, so on that side note, uh, not really a side note, but basically Double J is facing the still undefeated Steve Blackman, or should I say the formerly undefeated Steve Blackman, because they have a short match which ends when Blackman goes for a superplex, but Tennessee Lee grabs Blackman's foot, enabling Jarrett to land on top of him and pin him for the three count as Tennessee Lee holds Blackman's foot down so he can't kick out. And after the match, however, another referee comes to the ring, seemingly about to tell the official what happened, so Jarrett clocks him and knocks him to the ground. Blackman then begins beating on Jarrett, and he then turns his attention to Tennessee Lee, so Lee runs backstage as Blackman chases after him. Jarrett remains in the ring and tells the official to raise his hand in victory, so apparently that decision will stand. Double J has become the answer to a trivia question by ending Steve Blackman's four-month undefeated streak. Martin, your thoughts? I main event that guy right now. He he, yeah. he beat he beat the WWF's Goldberg. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but uh, I I I had high hopes for this but again you have to temper that with the fact that this is an attitude era role but i like jarrett well i tolerate jarrett <laughs> for reasons i discussed before i love steve blackman in a complete oh, yeah. completely ironic and unironic sense i love the fact that the man has negative charisma <laughs> which makes him incredibly charismatic yeah. he is an action figure he he has kung fu grip and eagle eyes absolutely and i i love the fact that these two were going to have a match. Um, yeah, it wasn't the longest match. There wasn't a lot to it, but what was there was good. Mm-hmm. Um, the the back suplex that Jarrett did, I think, thought was amazing considering the time. Yeah, it have gone very very wrong. Kind of caught him in midair, right? Yeah. yeah. So and yeah, the shenanigans with the ref at the end again, getting over the fact that Jarrett is this annoying gnat of a character. Yeah. Fine, absolutely perfect. Big 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 home run. Shame that these guys don't really have anything at mania no no and also i think jarrett's strut really helps too that that's also quality yeah i don't know what that that i don't know what that is but he makes it work it's 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 the jeff jarrett strut there you go There's no other way to describe there it. you go and i agree with you on steve blackman a couple of weeks ago when i was watching there was a, a raw match where blackman and ken shamrock were tag teaming together so i was like yes fuck yes can't can't do any better than that that's like the nope. the most badass non-charismatic team but just you know straightforward go ahead i'm gonna kick your ass amazingness and the match only got like three minutes of course but just just seeing shamrock and blackman teaming together i was like yes why was this not a tag team exactly it seems perfect 
it's it's almost too perfect, and that's why it didn't happen because Vince Russo had to had to just tear our dreams away from us. But anyway, up next now, Jr. tells us that DX is going to hold a public workout this Thursday at Faneuil Hall in Boston, my city. The event is actually on the WWE Network for those of you who are interested, and it's noteworthy for a few reasons. Number one. Triple H introduces us to wrestling impressionist Jason Sensation, who proceeds to imitate Owen Hart, Bret Hart, The Undertaker, and Steve Austin, with some of those impressions being of a much lower quality than others. So, spoiler alert, Jason Sensation will eventually make an appearance on Raw in a rather memorable segment where he gets to showcase one of those impressions. And the other noteworthy moment from the DX public workout is when Shawn Michaels starts cutting a promo but a fan ends up throwing a battery and hitting him with it, so he immediately drops his microphone and leaves. Now, keep in mind, this was when Sean was in full-on petulant child mode, so he wasn't going to take any crap from those Bostonians. But eventually, he does reemerge for the planned spot at the end where Stone Cold Steve Austin crashes the party by arriving in a Boston police car, but DX overwhelms him, ties him up in the ring ropes, and then HBK and Mike Tyson proceed to kiss him on his bald head as Austin tells them they're going to pay for it at WrestleMania. Worth a look if you have 20 minutes to kill, I suppose. But have you ever seen this uh, public workout before? Um, only in highlight form, mm-hmm. I'm afraid. I didn't actually know of its existence on the network, to my eternal shame. Neither did I um, until I, I typed it in and it came up. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, I, I, I saw it as part of the WrestleMania 14 sort of highlight packages that you got on the well, the VHS it was when I got it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think they got a so, lot of mileage out of the, the spot where they kiss him on the head. Yeah, definitely. You see that a lot. Yep. But yeah, so so that was that. Um, that's you know just a little thing they do on the Thursday before WrestleMania, and right after they pimp that, I should say right after they pimp the public workout, none other than DX and Mike Tyson arrive backstage in their limo back at Raw. Now, frankly, I'm a bit surprised they paid to get Tyson on a pre-taped show in friggin' Tucson, but hey, good for them. Doesn't seem like you know the most prime location, but yeah, whatever. So we get a quick recap of last week's Kane shenanigans, where he attacked the Phoenix Gorilla and attempted to attack Sable before The Undertaker showed up, quoted Samuel L. Jackson, and set fire to a mannequin dressed as Kane. Right after this, we cut to The Undertaker, who is sitting on the ground next to the gravestones of his parents in a cemetery, and by that I mean he's definitely on a fake set. He actually cuts a very quiet, introspective promo, where he admits he has done some things he is not proud of, and he asks for his mother's forgiveness. He says he has to fight Kane because he has given him no other choice, and he finishes the promo by telling his mother that he loves her. Now, I feel like this is probably the most vulnerable we have ever actually seen The Undertaker. Martin, you're you're a huge Undertaker fan, right? So, yeah, what did you think of this rather uh, unique promo? I am a huge fan of crazy, you know, bullshit melodrama in my wrestling. <laughs> it's why I absolutely adore Lucha Underground right now. It's why I've always gravitated towards the likes of The Undertaker and Kane. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, this this was still as melodramatic, but not as bombastic. No special effects, no Lord of Darkness, no rest in peace. Um, it was a genuine attempt to make The Undertaker a character. Yeah. And it, and it kind of worked. I think it did too. It was, it was making him very, very sympathetic because he wasn't really seeming like, you know, the Undertaker character we've all come to know. He was basically like, you know, this is just a guy mourning over his parents. Yeah. It's the most human the Undertaker has seemed, even when he was human. <laughs> the, the the biker taker. Oh god, yes. Um which again I love for, for all of its you know, for all of its reasons. Every incarnation of the Undertaker has something I like about it. Um and it's sort of creeping up to the period that I really like, so ninety eight, ninety nine goth take oh yes 
I, I really liked. So, yes, this segment was pure hokey, but it's the kind of hokey that I particularly like. A lot of people hate it, but for the same reasons that they probably hate it, I love it. Yeah. Yeah, I thought it was actually a very effective promo. Uh, mm-hmm. But, of, then, of course, then from there, we get a commercial break, but when we come back, the lights go out and the flames explode, so it's time for Kane and Paul Bear. So, amusingly, when Kane sets off the turnbuckle pyro, Jim Ross just yells out, God, I hate that! <laughs> yes. <laughs> just, just love that for some reason. So, Bear grabs a mic and mocks the Undertaker for crying over his parents. He then says that Kane is the Undertaker's equal because they have the same powers, and Kane then makes one of these ceiling lights explode. He then turns his attention to the announce team and shoots a lightning bolt to make Michael Cole's TV monitor explode. And I realize that sounds stupid, but I actually thought it looked pretty cool. He then takes a spotlight and makes that explode for good measure. So Bearer continues and says, Undertaker has brought this all on himself and he will feel Kane's wrath at WrestleMania. Bearer ends the promo by telling Kane to cause whatever destruction he wants. So Kane turns his attention to a stagehand who is standing on the entrance ramp. Kane lifts his arm to shoot another lightning bolt and sets the motherfucker on fire. I loved it. So the stage end runs up. He runs up the ramp while still covered in flames. He dives to the ground. His crew members spray him with a fire extinguisher to put him out. And holy shit, pretty awesome. Kane and Paul Bear head backstage as we go to break. And when we return, we see the stage end being stretchered out of the arena. So, Martin, how did you feel when you saw Kane pull a Daenerys Targaryen and set that man ablaze? I, again, loved it. Absolutely. It's- gothic stupid melodrama it's absolute finest it was the closest wrestling has ever got to actual pantomime because <laughs> um, I think I, I genuinely think they used like the same stage techniques they would have used in uh, stage productions of the Phantom of the Opera there you go because there is a scene where he throws lightning in that um, yeah. so, so you're saying yeah, Kane I'd, should have basically been wearing half a mask for this performance I I would like to think so yeah yeah. but you know um, belted out a rendition of Music of the Night yeah <laughs> I think he could do it. I feel like he could probably have that in his in his arsenal. They could have had Sable dress up as Sarah Brightman. It could have been <laughs> could have been rather special. Um, yeah, like I said, for all the reasons I've mentioned before, it's silly, it's goofy, it's just what I want. I mean, I love serious wrestling as much as the next guy. I you know watch New Japan stuff, you know Noah, you know, and I love it to bits. But I can't live by that alone. Right. So I like goofy stuff. So yeah. I mean, it, it's an image that has gone down in history. I mean, it's it's undoubtedly one of the big highlights of Kane's uh, career. For sure. And again, this is this is an era of Kane that I really like. He, they did genuinely treat him as like this ghoul. Yeah, yeah. They definitely, I, I feel like they could have botched this easily by, you know, Paul Bear hyping up, you have a brother, he's still alive. And then they, I feel like if they had booked this poorly... It would have been, or I should say, if they hadn't booked this, I guess, as well, it would have been really easy for people to shit on it and go, okay, yeah, he's got a brother, blah, blah, blah. But the way they've been booking him has been really effective. And actually, hearkening back to what you were saying before about how, you know, the dumpster should have been the final thing, I think they got this right by having him set the guy on fire on the show before WrestleMania, because now up to this point, basically what he's been doing every week is just hitting people with tombstones. And it's like, okay, Mm -hmm. he's doing that. Last week, he tried to do it to Sable. Where do we go from here? You set the fucking guy on fire, and now it's like, you know, well, now we really have the stakes raised even further for WrestleMania. So I thought that was uh, was pretty well done, and it was, of course, a cool spot as well. Oh, yeah, I was back in the mindset of being a kid again. I'd have been, like, 13 at this time. Mm. No, 15, sorry. God, I'm older than I thought. <laughs> um, yeah, and 
I, it was just I loved it because it was the idea of holy crap you know what is, what is actually going to happen are they going to set each other on fire are they going to throw lightning at each other in this match <laughs> it's it that's how you hype a match between two vaguely supernatural characters exactly them doing goofy supernatural stuff exactly and um, I think you're going to have to wait another month for them to set each other on fire but uh... oh yeah <laughs> yeah but but still for the uh, I'll take everything I can get of this absolutely. And actually, so for the record, I don't know if you remember this when it originally aired, but uh, back in 1998, the WWF put up a graphic at the bottom of the screen which said, this is a stunt, but they did not include that graphic on the WWE Network's version of the show. So kudos to them for that, because I think anyone watching can reasonably assume that Kane does not have the magical ability to summon indoor lightning. You would think that would go without saying. But uh, yeah, I'm glad they didn't include that at the bottom. 1998 was a different time, a more innocent time. It was. It reminds me of when Jackass aired in 2000 and uh, Johnny Knoxville set himself on fire and then some kid also set himself on fire and got badly burned. So I think, uh, you know, it was that sort of thing where it's like, well, we, we, we're trying to absolve ourselves of all blame. So, you know, it's a stunt. So don't go doing it at home. See, what I'd love for someone to just double down and go, well, it's just natural selection, isn't it? Yeah, it's, yeah well, I mean, realistically, yeah. It's kind of like when... Um, what was it back in the 80s when they said Judas Priest, if you played it backwards, it would tell kids to kill themselves and they would do it? It's like, well, yeah. Yeah. yeah the, what was it? The, uh, yeah. Uh, do it do it now, I think, was the, the, the trigger for it is. Pr- I, I, I not remember the court case, but I've I've since you know, heard about it and read about it. Um, but uh, it is in the, song, it, the, the bit that's played backwards that says do it, do it now is actually a song called Suicide Solution. So I can imagine how people would make that link. There you go. <laughs> But even so, the kids who actually follow through and, and did it, you know, yeah. as as Bill Hicks would say, I don't think we lost the cancer cure. So, is what it is. But anyway, so next up, we have Disciples of Apocalypse members Skull and 8-Ball taking on the new Midnight Express, accompanied by Jim Cornette. So folks, if this match doesn't cause you to call your local cable provider to order WrestleMania 14 this weekend, I don't know what will. Shortly after the match begins, the headbangers and the Rock and Roll Express walk to ringside to scout the competition, presumably because the new Midnight Express beat up both of those teams last week, and now before anyone complains and says that I sent the Rock and Roll Express to wrestle heaven last week so they shouldn't be on the show anymore, keep in mind I only run that segment when someone has their final match on Raw. I make no promises for them showing up for run-ins or things of that sort of nature. I don't even know what you would call this, uh, but just so we're clear on the rules of wrestler heaven. Okay, just, just so we're clear. But anyway, soon after the Rock and Roll Express and the Headbangers arrive, several more teams start walking to the ring, including Sniper and Recon, Savio Vega and Miguel Perez, Jesus Castillo and Jose Estrada, and your favorite, the Quebecers. So it may seem random, but all these teams will be taking part in a 15-team battle royal at WrestleMania this weekend to determine which team will become the number one contenders for the WWF Tag Team titles. And of course, as you might expect, the tensions end up boiling over and a brawl erupts, causing all the teams to enter the ring and fight amongst each other, resulting in what I assume was a no contest? Cornette actually yells for Bart and Bob to exit the ring and head backstage so they can avoid any further harm, and so they do, with the remaining teams still brawling the crowd chants, LOD, which Jim Ross says is wishful thinking because Hawk and Animal are still not speaking to each other. More on that next week. So the rest of the teams continue to scuffle as the first hour of the show comes to a conclusion. Martin, what did you think of the new Midnight Express's first match, followed by the Jobber Melee? Yeah, because reasons appears a lot in my notes. <laughs> Basically. Um, 
Yeah, this was every Battle Royal slash Royal Rumble build-up I have ever, ever seen. Yep, exactly. <laughs> as soon as new teams started coming out, I knew exactly where it was going. Mm-hmm. Predictability not in itself a bad thing, but it was here. Yeah. It... Because it, it was just guys, just guys just fighting for the sake of fighting. Pretty much. And apparently now Los Bariquas are two separate teams for some reason. <laughs> Apparently so. That you know, leave the memories alone and all that. Yeah. Shed a tear for the shed a tear for the Bariquas. I'll pour one out. Pour one <laughs> oh, out for him. Very apt. <laughs> oh yes, I didn't mean to do that, but you're right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, they can tease a Bariquas breakup as much as they want, but I doubt anybody is actually caring. Not at all. Not at all. Um, the o- the only thing that I've got are actually about commentary. Cole shilling Titan bikes hard. Oh yeah, he does that every time they come down. Yeah. yeah. Um, and also, Michael Cole, God bless him, 1998 Michael Cole is just as irritable as 2016 <laughs> Michael Cole when he tries to explain to us the concept of the new Midnight Express being a new incarnation of an existing team called the Midnight Express. <laughs> as if we couldn't grasp that concept by the word new appearing in front of Midnight Express. Yes. Oh, now I get it. Now I get it. Okay, okay. Yeah, I don't. I, I'm trying to think of a time when a tag team that has been dubbed the new anything has been successful. I genuinely can't think of anything. No. Uh, the closest was probably the brief new foundation of Owen and oh, Jim Neidhart. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's not even saying too much because they didn't last very long. No, exactly. And that's the only one that comes to mind where you didn't instantly hate them. Yeah. For <laughs> being the new something. I think I. I think I figured it out. The new. World Order, that's the one. That's the one. Yeah, we It's, of course, a reboot of the World Order, obviously. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, th- everybody remembers that famous team from the 70s. Yeah, obviously. The World Order, with that guy and, you know, the other one. Yeah, it's a, it's a fact. You look it up, people. You can look it up. That was that was a thing. Um, yeah, type it into your Google machine that's right. and see what comes that's up. That's right. And actually, on a side note, we'll, we'll see a little bit with the new Blackjacks in just a little bit, too. So there you go. Another new team that wasn't all that great. So that was that. And now... It's time to kick off the second hour with Shawn Michaels, Triple H, China, and Mike Tyson. Hunter begins by showing us a replay of last week where China whacked Owen Hart in the leg with a baseball bat, enabling Hunter to win the European title via referee stop, which kind of looks brutal because he, I mean, China did really whack him on the cast. I'm sure it was probably she, padded, but. It, it, she really was swinging for the fences with that. She certainly was. And it, I mean, you could hear the crack on it. Like it was a metal baseball bat that she did crack on his cast. I'm sure, you know, the cast provides padding, but still it, it looked pretty brutal. No matter how much padding I had around there, I wouldn't want someone hitting my ankle with a metal baseball bat. No, no. So full marks to Owen for being willing to take that, whether he, whether he wanted to or not. Yeah, seriously. I feel bad for anybody who ever uh, pissed off Sting. <laughs> yes. Yeah, he was, he was in the perfect uh, position for that. Certainly was. Um, so Hunter casually says, China will be handcuffed to Commissioner Slaughter at ringside this Sunday at WrestleMania. And as I said, I'm pretty sure that is the first and only time this stipulation ever gets mentioned. So I guess that's good to know. Uh, Hunter then goes all Val Venus on us by saying that he will prick the women of Arizona with his cactus and then let him play or let them play with his prairie dog. So clearly he's really mailing in these innuendos at this point. Hunter and... Sh- oh, sorry. Got- he's basically... He's basically insinuating that his junk spends a lot of time underground. Yeah, that's pretty much... And it is a menace to crops. That's true. And maybe that's accurate, I don't know. (laughs) We'll have to wait for his autobiography to come out. Oh, God. If he did write an autobiography, I I think I would be pretty interested in that, but... 
Mm. Oh yeah, I, I would buy the McManus autobiography. In a Absolutely, it, it probably ended up being watered down, but I'm sure there's a lot of stories you can tell. Mm-hmm. So Hunter and Sean turn their attention to a large-breasted DX superfan in the front row who appears to be getting held back by security. They take turns making puns. For example, do you have two nipples for a dime? Before Sean literally just calls her a skank and they move yeah. on. Yeah. So much like Ralph Wiggum, I think you can probably pinpoint the exact moment when her heart tears in half. <laughs> yeah, I'd like to think so. Yeah, I don't think she was a plant because you could see security holding her back. But I, maybe she was. I don't know. Maybe they just wanted an excuse for Sean to call someone a skank live on the air. I don't know. Probably. Yeah. Or perhaps Sean was just in business for himself. Or, or that. Yeah, or that too. Um, so Sean then refers to the Steve Austin-Vince McMahon feud as, quote, the world's biggest pinch fight and refers to both of them as, quote, chicks smacking each other around. He calls Vince a jockstrap and tells him to leave his opinions at home, even though he agrees with what Vince is saying about Austin. HBK tells Stone Cold he will give him his shot at the title this Sunday, but there's just one little problem. Mike Tyson is in DX's corner. Sean turns the mic over to Tyson, who censors himself and says he will knock Austin the f*** out. HBK finishes by saying DX will rule the WWF until they say otherwise, and that is the end of the segment. So, Martin, what did you think of the last ever DX promo involving the original three members? Uh, I liked it. I mean... As much crap as DX gets now, no, I mean at the time it was it was still edgy. It was still it was a very different kind of feeling to the NWO. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean yeah, calling the woman a skank was was a dick move, but that's exactly in character for yeah. DX. Yep, certainly. Is. So you can't you can't knock them for that. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it was fine. It, I mean, Michaels, to his credit, when he wants to, can, or when he wanted to back then, could build a feud. Oh, yeah. And it, it, it did come across quite genuine as the fact that he was so confident that Tyson was going to help him win against Austin. Mm-hmm. I, I had no problem with it at all. Yeah, it's just a, just a shame that, that this is pretty much it for Michaels. Yeah. Yeah, and actually, well, kudos to him not only for hyping his match with Austin, but also for hyping the Austin-Vince feud, because I imagine at this point they probably know where they're going with that, um, because, you know, spoiler alert, Sean's probably not going to be sticking around too much longer after WrestleMania with the condition of his back. So they're really kind of building up essentially two Austin feuds at once, which is really nice. Uh, again, big thumbs up for me for this one. Yeah, definitely. And uh, yeah, again, that's it. That is that is the final DX promo involving Sean Hunter in China. Although no, China didn't say anything, but that is the the final promo uh, with the three of them. So mark that one down in your calendars, folks. Uh, but yeah, I, I enjoyed it as well. And yeah, the, the, the just the, just calling the woman a skank was was pretty random, but completely in character. The one thing that cracks me up is like when you see Triple H interviewed these days, and he talks about the early DX days. He's basically just like, "Oh, we just we gave people what they want at the time. It was the time of Jerry Springer." <laughs> blah blah blah. He's basically saying like, "We weren't immature dickheads. We were just acting like immature dickheads." It's like, no, I I, I think you were both probably immature dickheads, but yeah, I I get the feeling that that was that was the the. the, the backstage michaels and hunter just on camera yeah exactly exactly so but anyway i get maybe now that he's you know the the quote-unquote coo or whatever his actual position is he has to you know walk it back a little bit and be like no no i'm I'm professional i'm a professional person i was just you know i was just playing a character back then whatever so next up we get another pre-taped message from jennifer flowers who tells us that it's the 90s so we should all come out of the closet 
as wrestling fans. Now, I will say the fact they're hyping her up as a guest celebrity for WrestleMania is pretty useless, but there is one historically noteworthy moment which comes from her appearance. I won't spoil that for you, but I will cover it next week on the show, and it's probably not what you would expect. And also, Jennifer Flowers wrestling in the Clinton years. There's a tie-in for you, even even though it's on hiatus, but, you know, give it a shout-out because it's directly related to Clinton. It is. It is. Well, I would say almost, but no, directly linked to Clinton. Yes, very much so. (laughs) Kind of funny how not that much changes here in the States, apparently. 18 years ago, it was all about the Clintons, and now, you know, 18 years later, still talking about the Clintons. So, is what it is. But then next up, we get a clip of the chair shot The Rock delivered to Ken Shamrock last week, which I still submit as one of the most brutal of all time. Would you agree with that assessment, Martin? Completely. Yeah. It's it's up there with Foley, Rock, 99. Oh, God, yeah. But the the fact that A, Shamrock begs for it, and B, takes it. Yeah, in the face. In the face. Ridiculous. Not the top of the head, the actual face. Yeah, amazing. And again, if, you know, if... If you fans out there enjoy brutal-looking spots in wrestling, definitely, I think this is one you'll certainly want to check out just for, you know, historical perspective, I guess, because I've I've never actually seen someone yet, number one, beg for a chair shot, and number two, just wear it right in in the fucking nose. So kudos to Shamrock for that. Um, But yeah, so as a result of The Rock's actions last week, Commissioner Slaughter has decreed that if The Rock gets himself disqualified at WrestleMania then Ken Shamrock will be awarded the Intercontinental title. And funny enough, our aforementioned friends, the Quebecers, once won the WWF Tag Team titles thanks to that very same stipulation. So maybe Shamrock should ask Jacques and Pierre for some tips there. He should. Yeah. (laughs) I'd want to see that backstage vignette. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm sure that'd go really, uh, really well. But yeah, province of Quebec rules. Look it up, people. It happened. So your next match is Nation of Domination leader Farouk versus Disciples of Apocalypse leader Chains. And let me just say, like, so Chains has basically been leading the DOA since I started this podcast, you know, 14 episodes ago. I had zero recollection of this looking back that Chains was the leader of the DOA for three, four months. I didn't remember it at all. It's news to me. I, yeah. I wasn't aware that they had a leader. Yeah, they, they've said it before in a couple uh, episodes. I think it's basically because he's the one with hair, and then you just have the two twins. So I guess neither one of the twins can be the leader, so it obviously has to be Chains. I don't know. It obviously used to be Crush, but he left after the screw job. so there you go. But anyway, so yes, this is two DOA matches in one night, which means I feel like I owe you an apology for picking this episode for you, Martin. <laughs> on the one hand, you probably do, but on the other hand... Chains was the fake Undertaker. That's yes, uh, yeah, that's right. So it was very, very nice to see him again. Yeah, the Undertaker reviewed SummerSlam '94. It, it kind of makes you wonder why Chains wasn't selected to be Kane. You know? Yeah, yeah, it's always a wonder. Um, but well, thankfully we got Glenn Jacobs. Yeah, who proved to be very, very, very good at his job. Oh, absolutely, yeah. And I suppose if someone was to say that, that's gotta be Chains, just doesn't have the same ring to it. So. <laughs> Kills the character dead right away. Yeah. So anyway, before the match, Farouk insists that Kama, Dilo, and Mark Henry should go backstage because he wants to go it alone. And the camera then, now I don't know if you saw this part, the camera then cuts to a shot in the crowd of a person holding a Rocky Sucks sign, but right behind her, someone is holding an enormous Confederate flag. Yeah. And it made me think, like, I didn't know, was Kevin Dunn trying to show the Rocky Sucks sign or was he trying to show the Confederate flag? Because they were both pretty prominent. I hope it was the Rocky Sucks sign, but The Rock wasn't even on screen at that point. So who knows? 
But yeah, anyway, so about a minute into the match, The Rock does arrive to the ring holding a chair. He hangs out at ringside for a while until Farouk hits chains with a spine buster, and Rock then just rolls into the ring and holds the chair above his head as though he was about to hit chains with it, but instead he clocks Farouk with the chair. Rock plays it up as though it was an accident, but it certainly looked intentional. He motions for Kamadilo and Mark Henry to come to the ring, so they help Farouk walk backstage. As The Rock walks with them, he says it was an accident, but then we see him raise the people's eyebrow toward the crowd as if to signify otherwise. And also, since Rock hit Farouk with the chair, that would technically mean that Farouk wins the match by disqualification, right? I mean, I guess Rock kind of yeah. helped him out there. But um, So, Martin, what did you think of this match and the, the very awkward ending to the match? Yeah, the, the, I mean, was there a match? It just seemed to, <laughs> seemed to really. happen. I mean, Farouk does have a very nice spine buster. He does. We'll give him that. He does. But yet, I get that this is furthering the the nation breakup. But given that there is no mention of said nation breakup, yeah, <laughs> at, at, at WrestleMania, it just seems weird to do that here. Yeah, it, it's really strange. And just the ending itself, literally, it's Farouk. I think about to give. Uh, chains a pile driver or a power bomb or, or I guess yeah. the dominator um, yeah, so he, he's got him in position where he's you know Farouk is hunched over ready to pick him up and then the rock just literally walks into the ring holding the chair above his head right in full view of the referee and yeah. it, I guess it was just like they play it off like yeah he meant to hit chains but he really just clocks Farouk in the skull they say it was an accident but it really it it in no way looked like an accident like what you typically see with these wrestling spots where it's like oh one yeah. guy ducked and I accidentally hit the other guy he just like basically clocks Farouk in the head with a chair. Well, just before, he does kind of go, well, in for a penny, and then just yeah, just does it. Exactly, yeah. He's just kind of like, well, I guess this is happening. Smack. Yeah, I, I don't know. It, it was just very awkward looking. Um, um, I, I must also point out the um, rather atrocious standards of spelling in Tucson, Arizona in March of 1998, because not only were there one, there were two Nation of Masturbation songs. Yes. Which, you know, hilarious pun, but they've both spelt it wrong. Yep, with with the E instead of the U. Yeah. 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 M-A-S-T-U-R, people, not E-R. Come on now. If, if you ever find yourself in a position to be in Tucson, Arizona in March of 1998, first of all, you know, buy a lottery ticket. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Or, or Grace Sporting Almanac, and B, teach the guys how to spell. For, if you find yourself in Tucson, Arizona in 1998, number one, move. <laughs> and and number two, it doesn't surprise me they can't spell because they can't even spell the name of their own town. I mean, there's the, why is the letter C in in the town Tucson? I, I don't understand. T U C S O N. That's that's like Tucson. That doesn't make any sense. It's I mean English is a very very scary language. <laughs> it is. It is. Uh, apologies to all of our listeners in Tucson, Arizona. By the way, I'm sure it's very nice. But anyway. So next up, the New Jack, New New Jack. Oh, wow, you watched a very different show to me. I, if New Jack was here. You didn't get it when New Jack showed up. No, no. I, I, I well, I had parental controls on the network. Yeah, it automatically censors all 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 New Jack. Yep. So he showed up, he stabbed the guy, and then he threw Vic Grimes off uh, off a balcony. Um, but what I meant to say was the new Blackjack powers explode because it's time for Bradshaw taking on Barry Windham, who's accompanied by Jim Cornette. Before the match, the aforementioned Rock and Roll Express snags some front row seats at ringside, much to Cornette's dismay. Early on, when Wyndham starts whipping JBL with his cowboy chaps, we get another classic JR line, as he tells us that Wyndham is, quote, whipping him like a government mule. I think he's basically going through all of his greatest hits tonight. Yeah, the, the best of Jim Ross. He's not available in shops. No. Someday, it, it should be. I mean, he's, he's had some great calls in his career. 
101 great Jim Ross calls. Exactly. I, I would buy that CD. I, and I think number one should be Fruity Fruity Skittles. <laughs> I'd forgotten all about that existence. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Thank you. So I don't know why he did that, but there was just a time where he was just he was going over the top for the Skittles for whatever reason. Yeah, well, I mean, they are they are incredibly addicting sweets. That's true. Maybe you know what? Maybe just for for some perspective, if people don't believe me that that happened, maybe I'll just put that in uh, right here. Money Not Ross brought to you by, I love these, all fruity, delicious, delicious, fruity, fruity, all the fruity, they're skittles. And there you go. Okay. So that actually happened. Anyway, so a few minutes into the match, the Rock and Roll Express start jawing with Jim Cornette, which distracts Wyndham enough for JBL to roll him up and pin him for the three count. You gotta love when those blood feuds culminate in two-minute matches that end with a quick schoolboy roll-up, don't you? Uh, yeah. I mean, nothing to me says, you know, describes and illustrates sheer hatred between two people like a basic technical wrestling hold finish. Yeah. Pretty much. Just a quick schoolboy roll-up, didn't even hit him with the with the clothesline from hell or anything like that. Just, yep, I'm, I'm just gonna pin you. But after the match, the new Minette Express head down to ringside and help Wyndham beat on JBL, uh, with Wyndham finishing him off with his lariat clothesline. So, Martin, overall, what did you think of this match between two overweight cowboys? It, it really was, wasn't it? It was just, it was just vests and chaps just colliding. Not a good look. Uh, no, I mean, I like Barry Wyndham, but I don't like this Barry Wyndham. <laughs> I much prefer the classic, you know, good Barry Wyndham. Yeah, the, the blonde, um, overweight and, Barry Wyndham. Yeah, um, Bradshaw at this point isn't really anything beyond you know budget Stan Hansen yeah basically it was fun seeing JB, uh, JBL well yeah J, hearing JBL being called a Brahma bull by JR oh yeah that's right that I could not it's like when people called Don Morocco the rock yeah 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 my, bra- my brain just can't process that for, for what it was it was it filled space it wasn't too offensive by going for like 15 minutes or something which it, in this in this era of three hour raw it definitely would oh my god yeah yeah but, um yeah that was about it yeah um, uneventful completely uneventful and not a way to finish any kind of a few no this just screams kind of like eh, we're not we're not doing so well with this nwa angle we'll give them two minutes and you know we can say they had the match to blow off the feud and that's it I don't know if that's the case. I don't know if they keep going with this uh, in the future, but that just, it kind of strikes me as like, okay, we're done with this now. Because, I mean, at this point, you know, Wyndham's not really over. Uh, Bradshaw, JBL at this point, as you might expect, is his matches consist of him stiffing the shit out of people to try to get over and not getting over. <laughs> so, yeah, it, it's it's not working too well for the, the new Blackjacks at this moment, but we'll see where they go from here. And now... After a quick commercial break, Mark Merrow and Sable head to the ring for a special presentation to commemorate her and Sonny's appearances on the cover of the January 1998 swimsuit edition of Raw Magazine, which was the highest-selling issue of the magazine up to that point. Sonny is, quote, under the weather tonight, likely meaning face down in a pile of coke, so she cannot be there in person. In the ring with Merrow and Sable are Kevin Kelly and, holy fucking shit, Raw Magazine editor Vince Russo. And at this point, where's Kane's indoor lightning when you need it? <laughs> WCW could have been saved by it. <laughs> by it. That's if only. Uh. At no point, though. I would, see, the problem is that I've heard so many Vince Russo impressions. When he didn't start his speech to Sable by saying, I swear to God, yeah. <laughs> it, it took me completely out of the moment. Yeah. 
well, maybe he was uh, keeping himself restrained for his for what I believe is his first in ring appearance. I know he was hosting. I think he hosted Live Wire a couple times. Yeah. But, yeah, I, I I would like to believe it was his first appearance on camera. Yeah, there there was a. It's, it's this. It's his his insistence on being in the spotlight comes from precisely this angle. So it's oh. yet another re- yet another reason to dislike Mark Maron. Say exactly. Yeah. yeah, he did actually. I think it was a couple of weeks ago. He had um, there was a, like a thing that an ad for the Raw magazine that they put uh, on Monday Night Raw where it was basically Vince Russo in his Vic Venom character basically being like, it's all about the Spaldings. You either got them or you don't. Basically being like, I'm the I'm the editor of the magazine who's going to give it to you straight. But, you know, it was just kind of, uh, it was like a pre-tape thing. I, I love the idea of a straight magazine existing within KFA. Yeah, right, exactly. I, wrestling's brilliant, isn't it? Wrestling logic is brilliant. I, I actually distinctly remember, because I, I did subscribe to... Uh, Raw Magazine and WWF Magazine for a time, and I would read the Vic Venom column before, you know, before I knew it was Vince Russo and before he became Vince Russo. But I distinctly remember when the Hart Foundation, uh, when Bret Hart was basically feuding with Shawn Michaels over the summer of 97, before, I I think slightly before uh, Shawn Michaels, you know, formed DX with Triple H. It was just kind of like Bret and Shawn hate each other and they were playing that up. And there was, I distinctly remember a column, a Vince Russo, Vic Venom column, where he was like, Michael Hickenbottom applied for Canadian citizenship. If you don't know who Michael Hickenbottom is, you're going to be surprised. Basically teasing up like, number one, this is Shawn Michaels' real name. And number two, he's going to join the Hart Foundation, both of which were, you know. I, I, number one, I highly doubt he applied for Canadian citizenship. And number two, he yeah. obviously never did join the Hart Foundation. So it was just kind of shit like that where it's like, I'm going to throw a bunch of shit in there and uh, none of it's probably going to be accurate. So, yeah. Sounds not, not not unlike some some news sites today. Uh, actually, you know that's actually a very good point. <laughs> you can tell I don't do news. Yeah, right, exactly. So anyway, so Marrow actually begins by saying that all of Sable's success has been due to riding his coattails, but just this once, he's going to leave and allow Sable to savor the moment by herself. Russo then presents Sable with what appears to be a dollar store commemorative plaque for making the issue such a, such a success. But then again, who's to say that people bought it for the swimsuits? Maybe they wanted to read the article, The Night the Loose Cannon Was Silenced, a tribute to the late Brian Pillman. Maybe the fans actually wanted to read instead of stroking it. Uh, well, no, no, probably not. I, I don't think they did. So, yeah, the, the, this is 1998, don't forget. That's true, yeah. Um, so Sable thanks the fans, but then she gets interrupted by Luna Vachon and the artist formerly known as Goldust, who sadly continues to dress as himself instead of being in character. Luna immediately grabs the plaque from Sable and just smacks her in the head with it several times, causing it to shatter and thereby wasting the four quarters it costs to make. Luna also tears away the bottom of Sable's evening gown for good measure before she and Goldust head backstage. Vince Russo takes off his jacket and covers Sable's ass, but you know he had to sneak a peek right up mainstream before he did it. I, I, Main Street, excuse me. I mean, I think you could actually probably posit the theory that Russo specifically booked this segment so he could get an up-close look at Sable's hindquarters. I wouldn't put it past him. And Mark Merrow then runs back to the ring and helps Sable up the ramp as we go to commercial. So number one, Martin, what are your thoughts on Sable's ceremony being so rudely interrupted? And number two, did you own this magazine at the time? Uh, no, I didn't own this magazine at the time. Um, I certainly did. Well, I, I was a <laughs> I subscriber, so. Yeah, I, I can imagine. Well, you probably got the, you know, the preferential subscriber-only covers. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, this... I mean, to further the, you know, the Goldust, Luna, sorry, the artist formerly known as Goldust there you go. and Luna versus Sable and Mero feud, it's fine. It Again, it wasn't, thankfully, wasn't drawn out over like 15 minutes and two segments. 
So the yep. one thing I can appreciate about a bad segment like this at this time, at least it's brief. Mercifully short. Yes, and we saw Sable's briefs. Yeah, that that too. <laughs> it was it was kind of random. Oh, I'm 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 embarrassed for myself. Oh. I do apologize for such a terrible joke. Oh, please, I I appreciate the puns. I I make many of them myself. Most of them terrible. Yeah. The only thing I would um, note was that it seemed kind of random. That basically, like Sable can see Luna coming. Sable already <laughs> she has the plaque in her hand already, and she basically just lets Luna take it from her and just smack her in the head with it. So. Maybe uh, yeah, maybe defend yourself a little bit more there. I'm just saying. Yeah, it, she doesn't come off as particularly intelligent after this. No. And, uh, well, I was going to say that may be accurate, but I don't know. I, I can't cast aspersions. I mean, she did land herself Brock Lesnar, so, you yeah, know. Exactly. I mean, we can't argue. I mean, we'd all like a Brock Lesnar in our lives. Oh, uh, yeah, of course. <laughs> Who wouldn't? And now this leads us to the main event, WWF Intercontinental Champion The Rock, accompanied by D'Lo Brown, Kama Mustafa, and Mark Henry, versus Stone Cold Steve Austin. Non-title match, obviously. So before the match, Jim Ross tells us that The Rock's chair shot to Farouk has given him a concussion as well, and Farouk is now doubtful to appear at WrestleMania. So put that on the list of gimmicks you will never see in 2016, the guy whose chair shots are constantly giving people severe concussions. Also, quick spoiler, uh... Farouk does actually wrestle at WrestleMania, which presumably means that in kayfabe logic, WWF doctors knew he had a concussion and cleared him anyway. Nicely done. So early on, we see DX and Mike Tyson backstage in their locker room huddled together and watching the match on a comically small television set. I mean, seriously, I think you could probably find an iPhone with a bigger screen these days. Mm -hmm. And as for the Rock Austin match, went about eight minutes with a commercial break in the middle. So let's say about 11 minutes total. Now, Martin, I don't know if you realize this, but this match was easily the longest Monday Night Raw match so far in this podcast. And I don't think it's particularly even close. And clearly, you couldn't have picked two better guys for the job. Overall, I thought it was actually a pretty good match as well. Certainly, they've had much better ones. But for a Raw main event, this was perfectly acceptable. And obviously, this was done to give Austin a tune-up before the WrestleMania main event, since Austin has not wrestled a televised singles match longer than 10 minutes since his SummerSlam 1997 match against Owen Hart. And we know how that one turned out. So, Martin, overall, what did you think of the match? Yeah, I... Completely in agreement. It's not the best Rock Austin match you'll ever see, but it's good to know that even at this point, they could work together so well. Yes. And that will stand them in such good stead down the line. Because um, it's, I mean, they, they feuded briefly in 97, Austin famously throwing the Intercontinental belt off of the bridge. Yep. Um, but yeah, it was it was nice to see these two interact in such a heatless dynamic, i.e. they didn't have prior issue going in beyond one's a heel, one's a face. Yep. Um, so without a story, they just had a match, and you know what? Yeah, for, I'll take it. I'll happily take it. It was a, a great way to end a show. Nothing especially on the line, but for, as entertaining wrestling television, yeah, couldn't have asked for anything more than that. Yeah, absolutely. It was certainly a surprise to me when uh, when I watched uh, when I was watching and Sauter book that match at the beginning. I was like, really, we're getting Rock Austin tonight. Yeah. All right, and then even more of a surprise, you know, because as I said, knowing how these matches have been going so far, knowing that this match actually got you know eight minutes on camera and probably yeah about eleven total, I was very pleasantly surprised by that to see Rock and Austin actually have you know a, a pretty lengthy match by Raw standards. So yeah, it was definitely definitely a great surprise, great way to end the show. Um, as for the match itself, it ended when Austin ducked down for a backdrop, but Rock kicked him in the face, so Rock ran toward Austin to give him a follow-up clothesline, but Austin kicked him in the stomach, 
hit him with the stunner, and scored the three count. And in case you were wondering at home, The Rock sold the stunner perfectly normally instead of the quadruple somersault he would later do during the later years of their feud. Um, And of course, as soon as the match ended, D'Lo Brown ran toward Austin with a chair, but he was easily dispatched with the stunner, and Stone Cold then took the chair from him, seemingly completely randomly, because he didn't end up using that chair, but whatever. DX and Mike Tyson then showed up at the top of the ramp, HBK says he has already hit Austin with Sweet Chin Music twice, and he plans on doing it a third time this Sunday. HBK then walks to ringside, but Triple H gets in his way and holds him back as Austin motions for him to get in the ring. And that is the last image we see before WrestleMania 14. And on that note, let's go to the wrap-up. Yo, I slayed them seeds back in the rec room era. My style broke motherfucking backs like him for terror. I freak beat slam it like Iron Sheik. We dedicated to cast that's been dug in. Then he passed out more homes than Jim Duggan. I'm bananas, out of my fucking mind. They won't let me back in. Cause I was down before the heights like Dusty Rhodes and Bob Backlund. Bruno San Martino, Stan Stasiak. Now the rockin' Stone Cold on my favorite maniac. The top rooster pluckin'. Chickens when they pluckin'. The WWF stands for women where we fuckin'. The ratings recap. So last week, Raw and Nitro aired on separate nights, Raw on a Tuesday, and Nitro in its regular Monday time slot, which saw large ratings increases for both shows. At that time, Raw scored a 4.4, its highest rating during the Monday Night Wars up to this point, while Nitro scored a massive 5.1. So how did both shows fare now that they were back in their regular time slots going head-to-head? Well, Raw tallied a respectable 3.6 rating, but it was not enough to beat Nitro's 4.6 resulting in WCW's 82nd consecutive Monday Night Wars victory. Now, Martin, you were a WCW fan at the time, so I'm going to tell you what you could have been watching on Nitro on this night, and you can let me know if you would have preferred to watch WCW's program. Sound good? Yeah. By all means, fire away. All right. So Ultimo Dragon defeated Chavo Guerrero. Scott Steiner defeated Wayne Bloom. Psychosis defeated Lodi. WCW World Heavyweight Champion Sting defeated Diamond Dallas Page to retain his title. I'm assuming this was one of those instances where WCW put their world title match at the top of the 9 o'clock hour to keep people from switching over to Raw. Lex Luger defeated Rick Fuller. Eddie Guerrero defeated Kaz Hayashi. Prince Ayakea defeated Conan. WCW Cruiserweight Champion Chris Jericho defeated Lenny Lane. The Giant defeated Hollywood Hogan and Kevin Nash in a two-on-one handicapable match. Booker T and Chris Benoit fought to a time limit draw, so Booker kept his world television title. The British Bulldog defeated Kurt Hennig by DQ in a match that would have been great to see in the WWF in 1991. Goldberg defeated the Renegade. Yes, that's right. Goldberg squashed the fake Ultimate Warrior in 40 seconds. And Randy Savage fought Rowdy Roddy Piper to a no contest in a match that would have been great to see in the WWF in 1987. So as you know, in stark contrast, the WWF Nitro is constantly relying on wrestling with minimal angles, as evidenced by the fact that this this card, I should say, consisted of 13 fucking matches. So what do you think, Martin? Would you have preferred to have turned on WCW on this night? I was going to say, just because Nitro had 13 matches doesn't necessarily mean that it was wrestling heavy. (laughs) Fair, fair. I've I've seen some two-hour Nitros that... (laughs) <laughs> will will incense you with how quick the matches are. Yeah. Well, um, Goldberg in particular just, at this time. Yeah. Just you reading it out there, it actually sounds pretty cool. I agree. So I imagine because we... Well, we weren't getting Nitro at this time and Raw here aired on Fridays. So it aired on the Friday after the Monday. So okay. We actually got this... We would have gotten this go-home Raw after WrestleMania. Oh, wow. Yikes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Not good. 
Oh, no, no, it would have been a couple of days before. My timing's off, mm. as it always is. Um, but I think probably what I would have done would have watched would have been watched the first hour of Nitro for all that Cruiserweight stuff. Sure. And then probably flip at the 9 o'clock hour to, you know, for Warzone. Like, you know, because I love the fact that WWF feels the need to differently brand its hours. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I forgot I forgot that happened and I love it as a concept. Yep, Rise War was the 9 o'clock and then the Warzone was the 10 o'clock, yeah. Yeah, uh, so I probably would have watched hour one of Nitro and then hour two of Raw. Because I, I like WCW's mid-card. Oh, yeah. Always have and always will. To me, a WCW pay-per-view has an amazing undercard and then like the last hour is just garbage. Yeah, I was actually intrigued to see that Randy Savage and Roddy Piper fought in the main event in 1998. Uh, and I, can, I can imagine that went to about 30 seconds. Yeah, probably. It would have, it, you'd have got that like 30 seconds before the end and lo and behold, like all of the NWO jobber team runs out. Yeah. But then in my head, I was thinking, like, did Savage and Piper ever fight in the WWF when they were, like, in their primes? I don't think, I, I don't remember them ever actually having a match with each other, unless it was at, like, a house show or something like that. Yeah, I I can't ever remember them to really interacting. No, not at all. Um, so, yeah, um, I I would have been intrigued. But if that Nitro is on the network, I might actually still pull it up, because I'm, I'm intrigued by the sound of a lot of that guy. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure it is. I think they uh, I think they have most of the Nitros up at this point. Uh, I think that into 99, so just before it all falls off a cliff. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> Literally, you can you can pinpoint when WCW like starts to die, and it's like the night after Spring Stampede 99. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, even those, I, I will say, even those um, those late Nitros are sometimes watchable from the train wreck perspective, where it's like, oh, okay, Viagra on a pole match. Okay, we're really doing this. Okay, sure. <laughs> Yeah, you know they almost loop around from being so bad they're good. Exactly, um, exactly. But yeah, um, like I said, I mean this this wasn't a bad episode of Raw. It was probably a bad go home show because mm-hmm. at no point did I feel I was getting the hard sell. Right. It was like a case of oh, by the way, WrestleMania is this Sunday. You know, the biggest show ever. Yeah. You know, it's there was just something about it. But on its own merits, yeah, this wasn't bad. I mean, some of the matches were shitty, but the main event was killer, and we got some good segments. Yeah. I, I think my my would be my rating would be thumbs thumbs pretty firmly in the middle. Yeah, as a go home show, pretty uneventful. I was pleased to see. I've enjoyed all of Mike Tyson's appearances so far, but this one was basically just him like opening his jacket to show a DX shirt about fifty times. So you know, when I saw Tyson was on the show, I was like, oh sweet, that's pretty good. But he didn't do anything. Rock Austin match, great. Kane turning that dude into a human marshmallow, great. Yeah, there were a couple like you know little moments like that. My continued love of Jeff Jarrett, great. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> well, I've got spoilers for you for the rest of 98. Jeff, Jeff Jarrett actually gets a lot better. Oh, well, there you go. All right, then. I look forward to that. As long as he keeps uh, keeps Tennessee Lee with him, then uh, that's that's just what I need right there. That doesn't last as long as you'd, you'd like. Yeah, no. No, it doesn't. It's, it's, it's good. It's good while it lasts. Yeah, I, I, just, I love his accent. I, I, I love Tennessee Lee's accent. It's so ridiculous. <laughs> he, he, he is a full-on cartoon character. He is. He's Foghorn he, Leghorn. He is. He is. He is. I mean, you could drop that character in something like Django and Jane. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> man. Work. Well, yes. Well, let's not, let's not forget that Colonel Tom Parker did once manage Harlem Heat. Yes, while they were shackled in chains. Yeah, legitimately. Yeah, yeah, wasn't wrestling fun, ladies yeah. and gentlemen? He's a southern plantation owner who won them in a card game. Yeah, that's great. Good good call, WCW. 
Know, know your yes. audience on that one, the southern United States, I suppose. Yeah, so WCW doesn't always get a pass from me. No, no, no. Uh, the other thing, too, is that Tennessee Lee is basically like, like fucking six foot five. He towers over everybody. He's Yeah, he's a huge guy. Yeah. He's like more intimidating than Jeff Jarrett, I think, but... <laughs> he, he was certainly more intimidating than Bunkhouse Bunk. Oh, my God. <laughs> I remember that. What was his stable called? The stable he had in WCW? I can't remember uh, what it was. The Stud Stable? Yes, that's it. That was it. Good call, man. I, I completely oh, forgot okay. about that. This is this is my warehouse, just random facts like that. I'm like a filing cabinet. <laughs> Perfect. Well, that that's what I need, I mean, when I'm doing these, it, it, uh, these episodes. It's... I must say, it, it's turned out to be great for this kind of stuff. Yeah. If I can just recall stuff. Perfect. Well, yeah. So overall, yeah, I, I would say thumbs in the middle. You would say thumbs middle middle up? M- yeah, yeah, middle to slightly quavering northwards. Okay. Excellent. Well, I guess that's that. we can about wrap it up then. So mm-hmm. once again, a huge thank you to Martin Dixon for appearing on the show. And Martin, once again, before we wrap up, would you mind letting the people know what you're up to, and any other plugs you may need to get in. Well, not 24 hours from this recording, um, we'll be I'll be rejoining the guys for another New Blood Rising. Awesome. Which one should um, be covering there? It's a biggie, Survivor Series 2001. Oh my, so that's the blow-off to the invasion. The actual, factual end of WCW. Oh my god. When you Have you watched it yet? Oh yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. so did you notice... In the backstage segment where Vince is hyping them up and The Rock will not stop jumping up and down. <laughs> I, I, in my head, I would like to think that The Rock just desperately, desperately needed to visit a bathroom. Yeah. <laughs> but they had to get him there because it was a live te- live segment. That's the funny thing is like that show is, is the legit blow off to the invasion. But to this day, I still remember. I just remember that promo where Vince is hyping him up and The Rock is literally just jumping up and down throughout the entire fucking thing. Yeah, like uh, like Brock Lesnar. Yeah. Um, yeah, so we're doing that. That'll be tomorrow, so probably up Monday, um, if all goes well timing-wise. Um, and yeah, I just I just keep posting whenever I get the urge on either unappreciatedscholars.com or 4CROnline.com, um, just as the mood takes me. Awesome. And well, actually, if, if that goes up on Monday, and this goes up on Monday, you could literally be pulling the... The, the double threat, the, the double duty. I don't even know what you would call it, but appearing on two wrestling podcasts on the same day. You'd be like Rick Rude on Nitro Rude. and Raw. <laughs> yeah. Although, to be fair, I mean, Rick Rude in his prime had a killer body, but I, I'd like to think that I would win any Super Pulls down with him. Oh, my God. Rick Rude. I, 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 I don't have a six-pack, my friend. I have an entire can. <laughs> oh. Well, it's, it's England, so, you know, you guys are, you know... More, more known for the the pubs and the pints, so you know having a cake heavy, makes sense. Yeah, I, I I bring the I bring the heavy set <laughs> of being heavy set. I will say about Rick Rude though, he had some fantastic tights back in the day. Those oh, airbrush tights are amazing. If only RVD would have done the same thing. You right? <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, um, and as well, in, if anybody is hearing this for the first time and likes me and. Or doesn't like me, uh, you can contact me through Twitter at Bunny Suicida, my weird online alias. Love it. And that's S U I C I D A? Mm hmm. It is, um, because I am a huge Samoa Joe Mark. Nice. And he had, he had a move called the Elbow Suicida. I remember that, yeah. Yeah. Samoa Joe, your current NXT champion. I know, I'm so happy. Coming to the main roster at some point soon, maybe? I don't know. I would like to think so, because um, then all of my action figure Joe versus 
Brock Lesnar brawls could actually happen. There you go. Action figure brawls, by the way, I am a 33-year-old man. But yeah. Hey, I still have a bunch of action figures back home, so, you know. Exactly. I, I have actually a bunch of the, the old-school Hasbro figures from 1989-91. So, like, I legit have, like, an El Matador Hasbro figure. I have a Repo Man Hasbro figure. You, you are an incredibly lucky individual indeed. Most of my collection is cheap knockoff wrestlers, which I found an affinity for. Yeah. The problem so, is though, like I've I've played with all of them, so they're not worth anything. Like I haven't, no. I have an Andre the Giant figure, which probably you know could maybe be worth a little chunk of change, but it's it's been ruined because I played with it. So yeah, but it's it's worth a lot to you. That's true. I'm, I'm not I'm not one for keeping toys in boxes and all that kind of shit. Just, they're, they're meant to be played with. Exactly. Even like even as a 33 year old man. Exactly. Yeah. I also actually side note I have Shawn Michaels when he was in the Rockers, but I broke his arm off, but I'm keeping it anyway for historical perspective. Just to be exactly. just to be like, hey, remember when he used to dress in those green tights? Good times, good times. So all right then, that's awesome. Definitely check that out. Definitely check out the New Blood Rising podcast because uh, a couple episodes ago, episode eleven, as I mentioned, they gave that awesome plug to us on their show, uh, which yeah. definitely. Can I be the first? Oh please, yeah. Can I be the first to to apologize for referring to this show as the Raw Attitude Era podcast? Oh, it's okay. I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure a lot of people make that distinction too. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad the message got through that it was you we were talking about because I, I love this idea as a concept. Yeah, I mean, literally, I had this idea last May and I was like, well, I don't have the time to do this podcast. I'm just going to you know leave that idea out there and I'm sure somebody else will take it. And nobody fucking took it. So then once ja- yeah. once January rolled around eight months later, I was like, well, I guess it's I guess it's on me. I got to I got to do this. So <laughs> and and at the risk of sounding sycophantic, you do this exceptionally well. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. I am astounded at how well you're doing this. I, I really appreciate that. It's my first foray into podcasting solo. I've been on you know wrestling podcasts before mm-hmm. as a guest, but uh, yeah, I definitely appreciate that. And you actually were one of the early supporters of the show when I was just starting out, and I didn't even know if mm-hmm. people would actually give two shits about this podcast. So I'm definitely very appreciative of that because you know that kind of helped uh, motivate me a little bit to be like, oh, I people say- actually like this. As long as it helps, I'm more than happy to uh, to do what I can. Awesome. And uh, on that note, since you have now completed an episode, would you care to come back sometime as well? Oh, of course. Whenever you want me. Fuck yeah. Next time, I'll, I'll try to pick one that's uh, that's a better show for you. <laughs> oh, believe me, I've seen some absolutely terrible shows. Yeah. This was th- this was m- mediocre. Was absolutely fine. Awesome. I mean, the, the episodes of Raw these days are are you know I'll settle for. I don't even know. I mean, the, the wrestling is good on Raw these days, but a lot of it is it's just a slog to get through three hours of wrestling. It really there, is. There's there's just so much of it. That's my one gripe. And exactly. I know, you know, I'm, I'm actually griping about there being too much wrestling, but there's too much wrestling. Agreed, yeah. It's like, maybe this is a bad example because I love ice cream, but if you were to say, you know, hey, here's ice cream. Oh, I love ice cream. Now eat three pints of ice cream or three, you have three gallons of ice cream. It's like, oh, I don't, I think it's too much of a good thing, you know? So that's kind of what Raw is these days. It's too much of a good thing. The matches are great. I mean, uh, for the, I'm not all of them, but for the most part, the matches are very high quality. We just got Kevin Owens versus AJ Styles in the fucking main event. It's like, there's nothing to complain about there. It's just the fact that, you know, three hours is a lot, especially in one sitting. So I guess we'll see what happens once uh, once SmackDown now goes live and, and yeah. Raw goes live as well. Uh, I'm a little skeptical about the fact that Raw will be going live with potentially half the roster that it has now and still filling three hours. But uh, you know, I mean, I guess we'll see how we'll see how that shakes out. Well, yeah, we'll we'll see how if they manage to pull it off. 
which I've got I've got every faith that WWE can. I mean, they know what they're doing. I mean, Christ, they gave me NXT for God's sake. That's true. <laughs> That's true. I would just, I mean, what I would do, I would probably with SmackDown going live, I would try to get you know, not like an NXT invasion type thing, but I would try to get as many NXT guys on there yeah, as possible. The, the, the ones that you like can definitely definitely put hand on heart and say that yeah they are ready for for a main roster yep just just scoop them up and then nxt can go back to being that developmental thing yeah where you get like new faces every single week yeah i, I feel like that's how it's probably going to shake out is you're going to have the guys go nxt to smackdown to raw um i, I just feel like that's going to be the new transition unless you have a guy like balor who you're probably going to put on raw right away but, um, you know, they'll probably just, I assume that's how they're going to go with it. Like, oh, we'll start them on NXT, then they'll go to SmackDown, then they'll go to Raw when they're ready. So, whatever. But again, it's it's still it's still going to be too much wrestling for me to handle. <laughs> so. It will be. It will be. But anyway. So anyway, I said anyway about 15 times, but next time out, quick preview. We've got another special episode of the podcast for you folks, because it will be the WrestleMania 14 slash post-WrestleMania Raw extravagasm. All the noteworthy events from those two shows will be covered. And let me tell you, there are definitely quite a few of them. So what will happen when Shawn Michaels defends his WWF title against Stone Cold Steve Austin with DX member Mike Tyson acting as the special enforcer? Can The Undertaker possibly end the undefeated streak of his brother, the unstoppable monster Kane? Will Ken Shamrock finally taste WWF gold when he faces The Rock for the Intercontinental Championship? Can Owen Hart outwit Triple H and take back the European title that Hunter stole from him one week ago? Will Cactus Jack and Chainsaw Charlie get their revenge on the New Age Outlaws after having been thrown off the side of a stage in a dumpster? Has Sable finally had enough of Mark Merrow? The answer to all of these questions is... Maybe? Find out next time. And as always... Thank you for listening to the show. I am Henry Hugepex, the suplex-throwing human duplex. I will remind you once again to feel free to subscribe to us on iTunes or Stitcher. Send us an email at rawattitudepodcast at gmail.com. Tweet us at rawattitudepod. Or even better, write us a five-star review on iTunes, as several people already have, so that more people like Martin can discover the podcast. And on that note, before we depart, Martin, I will ask you the same question I have asked every guest host who has appeared on this show do you have an all-time favorite wrestling match, angle, or promo that you would like me to play at the end of this podcast? And if not, there will probably be an embarrassing soundbite like, um, oh, I don't know, I'm just spitballing here. The ultimate warrior vomiting after having a voodoo hex put on him by Papa Shango. Something like that. Something like that. That one is legitimately one of my favorites. <laughs> <laughs> I, off the top of my head, I mean, favorite match of all time is... Uh, Bret Hart Bulldog from SummerSlam 92 oh in your backyard because I was there oh you were, yeah. you, were the, you were at Wembley I was at Wembley I was I was at the, amongst the 83,000 that was there way up at the uh, the back in the nosebleed section so that will always be very special for me because that was my first ever that was my first ever wrestling show period wow so th- that was that was a doozy so that one um in terms of angles I think my favourite of all time is actually probably Take a Cane nice. the one that we're in right now and your favorite promo? Wow, there's so many great guys and great talkers. Um, I was like the Rocks from Royal Rumble 2001. Okay, which uh, one was with that? The, that was the one where he, they're in New Orleans, so he likens the Royal Rumble to a bowl of jumbo. Oh yes, it could be. It could come down to the Rock versus Perry Saturn. It could come down to the Rock versus Crash Hall. <laughs> it could come down to the Rock and Stone Cold Steve Austin, which it inevitably did. Yeah. 
So and I love that one. Just the 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 charisma of the man just just instantly sells the Royal Rumble, but all by itself. Perfect. That sounds like a winner. I think I can put that at the end there. I'm sure I'll be able to find that. So mm-hmm. there you have it. Thanks again for listening, everybody. Thanks again to Martin for joining. And we will catch you next time for the WrestleMania 14 slash post-WrestleMania Raw extravagasm episode. See you next time and enjoy that promo. Rock, we are now just moments away from the Royal Rumble match. 30 superstars, an opportunity to face the World Wrestling Federation champion at... Finally, The Rock has come back to New Orleans! The Royal Rumble 2001, the biggest Royal Rumble in history. All shapes, all sizes, all colors. It's so fitting that we're right here in New Orleans because the Royal Rumble 2001 is like one big pot of jambalaya. All shapes, all sizes, from Crash to Rikishi. Kane to The Undertaker. And speaking of Kane and The Undertaker, everybody wants to ask the question, are Kane and The Undertaker together? Are Kane and The Undertaker together? Well, quite frankly speaking, if Kane and The Undertaker are together, then every man is going to be in trouble. But The Rock is sick and tired of asking that question, answering that question. Is Kane together with The Undertaker? Is The Undertaker together with Kane? Kane wants to buy The Undertaker a box of chocolates. The Undertaker wants to tickle Kane's big red nipple. Who cares what they want to do? Because the fact of the matter is this. The Undertaker and Kane, they're going to be together tonight, all right. Together getting both their monkey asses kicked right over the top rope. Royal Rumble 2001. Every man for himself. It could come down to anybody. The Rock and Bull Buchanan. The Rock and Perry Saturn. It could even come down to The Rock and Stone Cold Steve Austin. All the possibilities, they're endless. The results will still be the same. Is that The Rock walking down the people's aisle, getting in the ring and body after body after body over the top rope, whipping ass all over the Big Easy on to WrestleMania. If you smell what The Rock is cooking. We're back in the Open Warriors dressing room, ladies and gentlemen. Unfortunately, he is suffering severe abdominal pain. The attending physician there to help him out, along with a number of his friends, the Open Warrior. Oh, unfortunately. We'll get, let's go back out to ringside. This is unfortunate.